either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome officially now to the Christmas season. Thanksgiving weekend. Hope you're having a great one. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. Holiday season always brings out some big movies, and no different this weekend. We'll start with the latest animated feature from Disney. Follows a young girl named Asha who wishes on a star and gets a more direct answer than she bargained for when a troublemaking star comes down from the sky to join her. It's called Wish. Last night, I made a wish on a star. Uh, and the star answered. I believe I have just been threatened. Who would dare threaten you? I have no response to that. <laughs> there is a traitor amongst us. Find Asha. It's a dead end. With unsanded mahogany. Oh, good find, Valentino. My butt found it. I started this. I have to finish it. It's interesting because it seems like really the entire behemoth of Disney has been built upon making a wish and making your dreams come true. Right. And it's it, they, they sort of uh, approached that a little bit in the last, or tried to, with the last uh, incarnation of Pinocchio. Mm. That was a swing and a miss. Mm-hmm. Here we get a little bit of a different, like, be careful what you wish for, I guess. Yes. And... Um and when you say uh, it was a swing and a miss, you mean the Disney version. Yes. Li- not, of course, obviously. No, no, not Guillermo del Toro. The one with Tom Hanks. Yeah. The one with Tom Hanks, yeah. And, uh, and this is, um, and it's funny that you say that, that, that all of Disney seems to be built on this because this movie really t- takes into account how much Disney is built on this mm-hmm. because they make little comments throughout this movie about all of the other Disney movies that are about sort of, well, just about a lot of different Disney movies. Um some of the little bubbles that you see, you know, pay, which are where the wishes are kept. They pay homage to uh, to Peter Pan and to um, Mary Poppins and the Asha, the lead. She has seven friends and it takes a minute to recognize this. But <laughs> one of them is always sleepy and one of them is grumpy and the other one is a little bashful. And as you, you know, but um, and it's fun for a while. But honestly, eventually it really becomes a distraction from the fact that this plot isn't all that coherent, um, Ariana DeBose plays Asha. Just won an Oscar for West Side Story. That's right. And great voice. Great voice, obviously, yes. And she wants to be the intern for the king, who is played by uh, Chris Pine in a really fun, he, he does a really good job with this. Oh, yeah. Uh, as the very, very handsome king. <laughs> and uh, the king, what he does is keeps his people's wishes safe for them. Everybody makes a wish on their 18th birthday. He keeps it in this protective bubble, but then they forget what it is, which is to say that they never go after their heart's desire because he's protecting it for them. And uh, and once in a while, he will- And not will, granting it. Once in a while, he <laughs> well, yeah. will deem a Just wish- Just to keep the people- That mollified. Placated, yeah. Yeah, and so I think um, in a way- it's a, it's a really interesting premise in a way because it's it's basically not unlike the new Hunger Games movie. It's it's sort of a comment on don't trust the people in authority yeah, to hold, make your decisions yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. You know, when they say no, I'm the one who knows best, eh, don't trust that. Mm-hmm. And the, but it's just um it meanders and it's a little toothless because at the same time 
It's just paying all manner of tribute to Disney. Uh, so it's like fight the power, but but don't at the same time. <laughs> so it's I don't know. It's in that way. It's a bit convoluted, but also really the storytelling is a bit convoluted. Like what exactly is the plot is so hard to sort of. I think summarize, mm-hmm. but she does eventually decide that, you know, Asha. Asha does decide that there should be wishes and she makes a wish and this little star comes down and then, and then, uh, you know, craziness. Yeah, she she makes it not to the king. She makes no. it on her own terms. Yeah. Like the, the traditional way yeah. in a Disney movie on a and star. That, and that will not do for the king. No. And so then there's a, a battle of who gets to control the magic and the mm-hmm. people's wishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some fun things happen once the little, once the little uh, star comes down, of course, the, you have to have the speaking uh, animal sidekick, and in this case, it's Alan Tudyk, who does a great job as this little baby goat. <laughs> yeah, um, Valentino. Yes, he's very fun. Between the star and Valentino, they they come up with all kinds of ways to make wishes come true that aren't really probably in anybody's best interest. Like There's a big chorus line with chickens, but... I just don't think all together it hangs together particularly well as a story. And then the songs aren't all that memorable either. Even mm-hmm. though she does have a great voice, the songs are just not all that memorable. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful film to look at. I just don't think it's one that people are going to go back to year after year. The filmmaking team, including uh, co-writer and co-director Chris Buck and also co-director Fawn Vera Sunthorn, have their veteran yeah. of Disney movies, Frozen, Frozen 2, yeah. um, Moana, Zootopia. So they've had their hands in a lot of these different movies uh, and now getting together to uh, write and direct this one. Uh, an hour and 35 minutes. I know when we talk to mm-hmm. people, a lot of parents are want to know that right away. Yeah. Well, how long is it? So yeah. this is only an hour and 35 minutes yeah. and rated PG. So viewed as pretty family friendly but the point that you make is it's a little for the young ones the little ones to follow it yeah maybe they'll just get more out of the the funny sidekicks yeah it's possible not really follow the plot right uh, and you know i also don't think that you know all of the little nods the little wink winks about disney about the whole sort of disney canon that's clearly for the adults it's you know no child is going to pick up on that sure but, but again, I mean, it's just such a it's it's such a sidetrack. You know, it takes up a lot of time in the movie in these little bits and pieces, and so it it, it really I think just makes the storytelling a little even more murky for little kids. Yeah, and that is a wish out in all the theaters now from Disney. Next is the latest epic from director Ridley Scott details the checkered rise and fall of French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte and his relentless journey to power through the prism of his addictive, volatile relationship with his wife, Josephine. This is Napoleon. I will win by fire. I am destined for greatness. I found the crown of France in the gutter and placed it atop my own head. You want to be great, but you are nothing. Without me, say it. I believe I speak for all of us. We would all sleep again without this vermin. Whose country are we in? Well, this one we talked about the running time of Wish. This one is a little longer. This is uh, just over two and a half hours long. And uh, it certainly fits the bill as epic. I mean, Ridley Scott can really 
he can do epic. Yeah, he can. Uh, you remember once it got to, and we both loved The Last Duel. Yes. And then once it got to the actual battle sequence yeah. of the duel, fantastic. Yeah. But nothing like this, man. Well, this, yeah, the the battle portions of this, the military, um, the military enterprises, um, incredible. They they're they're staged so well. They're lit so well. They're they 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 pop off the screen. And this one is available in IMAX, and it is definitely worthy of the big big screen for those things alone you get a taste of of a little bit of it in the trailer if you've seen the trailer and then there's the battle uh, on, the uh, on the ice oh man yeah that's incredible and there's more of that and that's really the high point of this version i say this version because it's already pretty well known that there is a four hour director's cut that's a, there's already i guess a plan to stream next year yes and, I, I don't even think late next year i think like january okay yeah well even without knowing that, I think you would watch this and, and feel that the big moments, which are often thrilling, and, and the smaller moments, they definitely they have their victories as well. The, the, the cohesive, the, the connective tissue mm-hmm. there is a little wanting. You can, you can feel the seams. Like, how do we go from this to this? And, and it, it doesn't really enrich the characters. There's bits of it. And the performances, of course, uh, Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon, Vanessa Kirby as uh, Josephine, both great. And Joaquin Phoenix, as is his way, gives Napoleon a an interesting treatment, but it's it's constantly in, it, it's fascinating. You're interested in it. It doesn't really go into much about his upbringing before he was a a military officer looking for a promotion. It doesn't really go into much about his upbringing, upbringing just his rise through the ranks uh, to be emperor, and then all these different battles that he led. Um, so yeah, the, so the connective tissue a little bit. I'm guessing that. The four-hour version right. will provide mm-hmm. more of that. Mm-hmm. And when you say, you know, the small moments, you really are talking about sort of the intimate character study between the two leads yeah. and, and, and how you get back and forth from one to the other. You know, to see, um, to see Joaquin Phoenix, who hasn't made a movie with Ridley Scott since Gladiator, mm-hmm. has he? I don't think so. And, of course, he's just—I that, that was. I think that was, that was Joaquin Phoenix's first Oscar nomination mm-hmm. was for Gladiator. So it was really when we first recognized what a remarkable talent he was. Yeah. And he just continues to be one of the most mesmerizing actors he working. Is. He is. And, mes- and Vanessa Kirby is also great. And, you know, so much of this is, is anchored around their relationship because mm-hmm. he was so he was Weird. so drawn to her. <laughs> and even when she wasn't around, you know, he was off fighting or even when she was she was exiled for for being infertile. And even after she died, I mean, he was still, at least this this movie portrays him to be devoted to her. Now, of course, again, we say this every time, this is not a documentary. No. It's going to take liberties yeah. with the, with the historical accuracy. <laughs> yes, and accents and what the language that we're speaking. Yeah. But uh, it has fascinating moments on both sides. But there are little moments, like there's a, there's a silly moment where Napoleon, they're at dinner, and Napoleon says something about has his destiny has brought him here, and destiny has brought him this pork chop, and he throws <laughs> it at her, and they get into this silly food fight, and then moments later they're on the battlefield. So just moments like that where the the clashing of tones, which can work at times, but you're just looking for more connective tissue to to bridge the character study with the epic, the grand vision of right, history. Right. They both can work, and they do work in this movie on, on separate occasions, but you don't feel like you've got the whole, the cohesive unit that apparently is going to take a four-hour <laughs> director's yeah. cut. And I, I'm not going to lie, I'll, I'll watch it. Oh, I for probably sure. will, because, yeah. you know, we've seen movies, one comes to mind right away, Midsummer. Midsummer. 
already long. Mm -hmm. Now, it didn't add another hour and a half to its director's cut, but the half an hour that it did add, we thought really benefited the characterizations. And we liked it it well enough anyway. Yeah. So so this is definitely, though, if you have the chance and the interest to see it on the big screen, it is worth it. It really is worth it for the uh, for the big the grandness of scale and the and the epic battles. It definitely is, especially if you have an IMAX in your in your area before the before the character study might take the four hour version. But uh, still a recommendation for Ridley Scott's Napoleon in theaters now. Next up is the latest from Oscar-winning filmmaker Emerald Fennell. A student at Oxford University finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. This is Saltburn. My parents, they've got problems. What kind of, what do you mean problems? I don't think I'll ever go home again. Well, why don't you come home with me? Come to Saltburn. This place? You know, it's not for you. Lots of people get lost in Saltburn. Oh, that's just giving me goosebumps. Look, Pamela. Oh, no. I think you're a moth. Quiet, harmless. Drawn to shiny things. (laughs) What have you done? I just thought that maybe I could help. You're not leaving us. You're not leaving Saltburn. I don't think I'll ever go home again. I need to take issue with the phrase sprawling estate. <laughs> yeah, can we? Yeah, you really need to expand, expand the definition of sprawling. It's an honest, monstrous. It's an honest to God castle. It is. You know, so it's not, you know, <laughs> it's not just one of those like I'm going home with my rich classmate. It's, it's, it's. Like unimaginable wealth yeah. is what these people have. Mm-hmm. They have the scene. They have the original Shakespeare's. They have the original. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. He he mentions in the tour of the house. He goes, "That's where we keep all of those hideous Rubens." So he, he just hanging yeah, in the, their home. The master painter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so. Yeah, it is an honest to god castle where this person <laughs> lives. And so, I, so just to give you a sense of the leap from and and uh, Barry Keoghan, one of the greatest. One of the most fascinating actors to to be working. He's today. really good, and uh, and he plays um, Oliver, who is Ollie. Ollie, who's at Oxford on scholarship, and uh, and i.e. poor, right? Not not in the league with these with no. these aristocrats. No, in fact, just plain old poor. Yeah, you know, and uh, and so uh, Felix, uh, who is Jacob Alordi, who is he's the one whose family lives in the castle, um, and he just takes a shine to Ollie. And, uh, and you know, and, and through a series of events, he decides that he's going to invite Oliver to come home with him and his cousin to the castle for the summer. And you kind of have a sense that you know where this is going. You know, it's a, you know, it's, it's one of those sort of, it's not exactly a fish out of water because that, that suggests comedy, but it's, it's a poor person invited into this big rich. And, and so you can expect some decadence and you can expect a lot of things. All of which you get here. But one of the things that's the most fascinating about this movie is that it really, even if you think you know where it's going, it turns not just in plot, but in everything about the tone of the film just keeps taking a sharper and sharper left turn and, <sighs> until, you know, and then then it's just all decadence and this bacchanal. And, and then it, at the same time, it goes from being sort of like a pristine art house movie into being just this pulpy, yeah. 
thriller, like so pulpy, yeah. such a thriller. In a, in a way, I don't want that to sound like uh, disparagement. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's certainly entertaining. And my God, is it gorgeous. It is gorgeous. And Emerald Fennell, who just won the uh, screenplay uh, Oscar for Promising Young Woman. Uh-huh. Oh, and by the way, um, Carrie Mulligan does come up with she a uh, support. It's Kind of small. Yeah, but, but it's interesting. But memorable. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. It looks fantastic. Some of the shot making is great. And I think the way it escalates to pulpy, to thriller, s- sort of mirrors Promising Young Woman. Right. I think Promising Young Woman maybe gets there a little bit earlier, but mm-hmm. if you remember the end mm-hmm. of Promising Young Woman, it certainly gets very thrilling, mm-hmm. uh, thriller-like. Uh, but this, yeah, very pulpy, uh, very uh, very fascinating to to watch develop, even if, as you say, you think you know where it's going, as as secrets are revealed about everybody involved. But it, it's also fascinating, as good as Barry Keoghan is, it's also fascinating to watch Felix's family. Yeah, I mean, his is. parents are played by Rosamund Pike and Richard E. Grant. And they're, and they're just spot on. They are, and they're just, like, they're so off. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to go put on my suit of armor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah, and then we also mentioned, as you did in your written review, Archie Madekwe who I hope I pronounced that right, he was just the star, the co-star, of as the driver in Gran Turismo. Right. And he was very solid and in that. And he's in Midsummer, actually. He is in Midsummer. Yeah, yeah. you're right. But this is a totally different part. And, it, and, he is, <laughs> and he's very good. He is, in a in a sort of understated way, he plays the cousin, mm-hmm. but he's- Farley. A, yeah, but he's kind of related by, t- he's wealthy by technicality, sort of, and so he hates- Ali, because because he sees himself in Ali exactly. and he hates that, exactly and so right. and it, so it, it just makes him feel his own insecurity the more deeply, and mm-hmm. so he's very petty, petty and bitter, and it's such a good performance. It, it is. really is. It's such a good performance. This is one, and I'm just kind of a cop out, to, cop out to say this because no movie is for everyone, but the tone of this is not going to sit well. With some audiences, it's yeah. just not. You kind of have to buy into it, and and again, as you said in your written review, and I think quite rightly so. It's not only going after the the decadence, right. the obscenity of this wealth, but also maybe the people who want it yes. and don't have it and will do go at any cost to get it. Yeah, because I think there's a difference between uh, like uh, finding obscene wealth loathsome because it is loathsome or finding it loathsome because you wish you had it. Yeah. And, uh, and I think this film takes equal aim at both of those populations as if they are indeed both equally villainous and it and in it you know it's almost cartoonish in the way that yes. it revels in that so yes. it's not trying to be realistic i mean you oh, know no. as as great as rosamund pike and um richard grant are in this movie they are essentially cartoon yes. characters yes very true yeah but but it fits i think the tone of the film yeah and there's also i mean i wouldn't call it a comedy by any means but there's some dark humor to it oh, there's sure. definitely some dark humor and i think it's a very confident very confident screenplay as she should be confident. Yeah, she She's an yeah. Oscar winner. Uh, to go after, like, no, this is this is what I'm going for, and yeah. it may not may not work with you, but this is my vision. Yeah, pulpy. And, oh yes, just and God, it's gorgeous. It These is. shots are unbelievable, especially when they get the framing. to the birthday party oh, toward yeah. the end. Like how, <gasps> yeah, it's it's really well done. So so especially if you liked uh, promising young woman, like the tone of that, and 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 interested in what uh, the filmmaker is going to do next. Yeah. This is one that, uh, that we both enjoyed, and it is out in theaters now called Saltburn. Well, let's do Netflix and go back to animation. A 74-year-old lizard named Leo and his turtle friend decide to escape from the terrarium of a Florida school classroom where they have been living for decades. It's called Leo. You're talking to them. 
These kids are all benefiting from my 74 years of wisdom. Everyone thinks I'm weird. Kid, they don't even know you. Try doing this. Wait. <laughs> about this reptile. You made me feel like I could do anything. This is gonna end badly. This is a tough time, but these are the best years, believe me. This is incredible! Leo voiced by Adam Sandler, Mm -hmm. and his turtle friend is voiced by Bill Burr. And actually, in the writing and direct, Adam Sandler gets a writing credit, but also the the guys behind TV Funhouse. You remember yep. that from mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live and from other things? Uh, Robert Smigel. Yeah, specifically Robert Smigel. They're involved in this as well. And, you know, Adam Sandler has been up and down. You know, he's, he's coming off that really... Really charming. You are so not invited to my bat mitzvah right. from just a few months ago. Really enjoyed that. And he he was kind of a a secondary character. Yeah. And here he's pretty much the lead voice anyway. Yeah. And this one is all right. It is. You know what? Actually, um, about two thirds of it I think is quite good. He Adam Sandler. He there's something very genuinely soft hearted about yes. him. Yes. And it fits this character. So he's so he suddenly is under the impression, Leo is under the impression that lizards only live to be seventy five and he realizes he's seventy four. <laughs> if he's ever gonna make a break for it, it has to be now. So he tries to escape. He keeps trying to escape. And they have a new substitute teacher, um, uh, voiced by uh, Cecily Strong, and she makes the kids take the lizard home for the weekend to prove that they have some responsibility. So one by one, these kids take him home, and every time he thinks this is going to be his chance to make a break for it. But instead, what he does is he figures out why the kid is unhappy, and he kind of becomes like, he becomes like a counselor to each one of these fifth grade kids. And it's very sweet. And it's a bit of a it's a bit of a toy story because he does the, he doesn't want the parents to know that he can talk, that he can communicate with these kids. Right. Like nobody's supposed to know that. Right. And so and so he so none of the kids knows they they just think it's only them yeah. that, that he talks to. Yeah. And uh, and then Bill Burr he does, he's the you know, he's Bill Burr. He's the cranky get off my lawn guy, yes. which is a really great counter to the very soft hearted Leo character. And for the for the Pokemon fans among you, his name is Squirtle. Squirtle, yeah. Squirtle the turtle. Perfect. <laughs> um and 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 it's just it really is. It's a lovely, often quite funny, very nice film. Here's the drawback, and I'm not just saying a drawback because I don't like musicals and you know that I don't. But it's a musical and the musical numbers do not work. They don't build anything. They don't and and when you're not when there's nobody singing, nothing about the film suggests that it's a musical. That's the thing. Now I'm the musical fan among us, and I have to agree. This would have worked perfectly fine without the songs. Right. Yeah, they don't. They don't really add a whole lot, and they're a bit. They're they're a bit surprising and and tone clashing. Yeah, yeah. and and none not, of the people can sing. Yeah, yeah they, they don't sync the movie by any means, but they they seem like this might have been even a little better without them. Yeah. Uh, but you've got uh, other voices that you might recognize: Rob Schneider, of course, because this is an Adam Sandler film. <laughs> um, Jason Alexander oh, is yeah. in it as well. Yeah. Uh, Joe Coy, another comic, and you mentioned Cicely Strong. So 
I, I think you're right. I think that's a, a good observation about Adam Sandler's heart yeah. showing. He yeah. has really been, as he's as he's gotten older, as we all have, and of course he brought his whole entire family into that Bat Mitzvah movie. Oh, two and, of them are, are voices in this, yeah. too. And so you can tell. He's, yeah. his, his soft heart is on his yeah. sleeve, and that's nothing wrong with that. No, it's, perfectly it's lovely. Charming, it is. Perfectly charming uh, film. Um, and just get ready for the somewhat surprising musical numbers. Uh, and it is on Netflix now called Leo. Well, let's stay with VOD, but uh, this is a documentary. In Doolan, an isolated village teetering on the western edge of Ireland, a community of musicians seek joy and connection through music as they face a modernizing world. It's called The Job of Songs. I'd go out and I'd be the life and soul of the party. You know, in the end, like, I'd go home and I'd just be quiet. It's a very lonely place. If we didn't have the music, I don't know how we'd... If we didn't have the music, I don't know how we'd... cope. When we were conquered by the English, we lost our language. But the music carries on. Music isn't as important as I'm saying, but without it, we have nothing. Nothing. Christy Rob reviewed this one for us uh, at MadWolf.com and loved it. Just loved it. It's a documentary, and, and it follows this small area where everybody who lives there is sort of encouraged to just get together in private, in kitchens, in living rooms, and pubs, and just sing and hand each other instruments and just play along. And, and this tremendous culture has sprung up from that that feels very Irish. It's an opportunity, as Christy said, for these for people to sort of verbalize something that maybe they've never even thought to be able to do, their history and their pain and their community. Mm-hmm. And the movie, um, uh, you know, little by little, the, the, the area becomes a tourist destination. Right. And right. so all of this moves from people's houses like into the street and into the pub and, and it becomes more of a spectacle and then the music reflects that as well and she just you know Christy just couldn't say enough about how how well it's put together to reflect the story it's telling at the same time just how lovely it is to listen to these songs yeah and then the interesting point about well what happens when you take that and Okay, you're you're making great music. You're creating a great atmosphere. More people are interested interested now to come see. Do you want that? Right. Is it worth that? Right. Will you lose some connection to that by because, commodifying? Yes. And by these people just coming and get a flyby. Oh, look and take a picture or video. You know, it sort of reminded me of one of the many times we've probably mentioned before. We go to Key West, Florida, a lot, and uh, one of the popular bars there is Captain Tony's Saloon, and they have a they have a thing where you put your business card on the wall. We were sitting at the bar one day, and I remember a guy just came in. He put his business card on, on the wall, and then just left. Yeah. And then the bartender immediately took it down because it's just – I know it's just a very small microcon, but you're not even getting no. anything close to the experience here. Right, no. Um, so it's, it's, it's sort of that. So it's for everybody to decide for themselves. I mean, anytime, once you put – art out into the world, then you're losing it because people will do things like think Hallelujah is a Christmas song (laughs) because it's out there. And what does it mean to Mm -hmm. me? Mm -hmm. And so it's fascinating points. But at the at the heart of it is just these people and their tradition of making this music. Mm -hmm. And it also reminded me of those great scenes in the Banshees of Inishirin where they're in there just making that music. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So fascinating. So by all means, check out uh, Christie's review, which is up now at madwolf.com, but a big recommendation for the documentary, The Job of Songs.
More VOD next, a comedy mystery set in a small Midwest town. It follows the investigation of a church congregation after their reverend is found dead. It's called Hayseed. I'm an investigator at Leo Hobbs. I'm conducting this interview. It wasn't suicide. He was murdered. <clears throat> yeah, okay. Look, this isn't how this kind of thing typically works. Are you here to help? There's nothing to find that we haven't already. Well, you know, small towns talk. I like to look a man in the eye when I talk. Wheel the safe out. That's very simple. And now there is a dead body. You think I know that? Your beloved reverend was murdered. <gasps> and his killer is in this room. Bill Sage, uh, veteran genre star, Bill, mm -hmm. Bill Sage, solid uh, actor. He stars as the insurance investigator who comes in to investigate what appears to be a suicide in this small town. And he does not want to be here. He's not from this small town, wants to get out of this small town. When he runs into somebody who says, this isn't suicide, this is murder. And then it becomes a, a wacky whodunit. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of a knives out kind of a thing. Not nearly to that degree, but those are fun. Like comedic thriller whodunits are just fun as you try to puzzle are, them yeah. out together. And it's cleverly made. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science. It's not, you know, it, it's again, it's not to the degree of, of cleverness of something like like Knives Out. But it's a fun movie to watch. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us, and she very much enjoyed it. Writer-director is Travis Burgess, and yeah, check out uh, Rachel's review at MadWolf.com. Hayseed is available now on VOD. Got a horror film next on VOD. Love is all-consuming in this narcotic nightmare crafted by writer-director John Ainsley. It is a psychedelic exploration of love, lust, and carnal desire called Do Not Disturb. It's peyote. It's supposed to be really, really intense. <laughs> Don't you feel weird about what we did? <laughs> I took a full bite out of you. Jack, are you guys in there? Wait! <gasps> what did we do? When you with you by any chance? She said she was stopping by your room last night. I haven't seen her since. Should we do? We turn ourselves in? It's just so primal. It feels right. Is it disturbing that I can name so many uh, cannibal love stories? Maybe so. I think it might be. Mm -hmm. Well, it's quite a metaphor. It can be used in mm -hmm. quite in, for a quite look at something like bones and all. Right, it's exactly. a great metaphor there. Yeah, yeah it is. And, and so that is the metaphor at work here. Uh, with a movie that, that Daniel Baldwin, Schlocketeer, reviewed for us. And it's not as good as Bones and All, which was a great movie. Right. But it, it, it does, you know, the, a couple, they've been together for too long, and to solve their problems, they get married, which, of course, is uh, it, not going to solve their problems. <laughs> so they go on their honeymoon, and they meet another couple, and they come across a bunch of drugs, and they decide... To increase their intimacy, they're going to do a bunch of drugs together, which, again, is not going to help anything. And what they find is that... How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> what they find is that the drug has a side effect that it makes you crave human flesh. 
And uh, and again, that's the metaphor that's at work, and it can be a really apt metaphor for love and for uh, for lust and for uh, carnal desire, as the as the synopsis said. And and Daniel thinks that they do a pretty good job. The performances are good. It's obviously not a high budget movie, but it, the performances, particularly in the sort of wilder mm-hmm. scenes, are really believable. And also. Extra points for some of the character names. In the credits, there's a character uh, goes by the name of Home Wrecker on the Dance Floor, <laughs> and another character uh, named Sexy Mofo in Hat and Suit on the Dance Floor. <laughs> so, can you imagine getting that part? Hey, I'm in the movie. What are you playing? I'm playing Sexy Mofo in the Hat and Suit on the Dance Floor. So, suck it. <laughs> yeah, so check out uh, Daniel's review at madwolf.com. That is out now called Do Not Disturb. And one more animated feature on VOD this week. A girl strays into the dreamy deep sea world. In the deepest part of the sea, all secrets are hidden. It's called Deep Sea. This is from writer-director Zaipeng Tian. I probably butchered that, and I'm sorry in advance, but I can pronounce Matt Wiener, and he reviewed it for us at MadWolf.com, and he, he liked it. He did, very much. It's a, it's a Studio Ghibli film, so it's anime, and it is, it, you know, it's not to the level of a Miyazaki film, but it's, it's in that right. same vein, right, where you've got a character who is melancholic. It's a child. She's lost her mother, and so this sort of sadness propels her into, well, into the sea, where she finds this magical kingdom. And uh, the sea creatures, the animation, it's not a traditional anime style by no, any means. No, it's not. Means. It's not at all. It's much more sort of tactile and uh, and really gorgeous. Uh, and, and that's one of the things about it that makes it work so well. The Like the little faces of the sea creatures around her as she kind of discovers the journey mm-hmm. that she's on. Matt really was was pretty taken with it. Yeah, and you can uh, check out his review now at madwolf.com. That is on VOD right now called Deep Sea. Okay, speaking of the schlocketeer, which we were, let's check in for some updates. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the schlocketeer, after a week off. You're back with even more big news. Well, I know uh, one of the big things i saw was the the rise and fall and rise again of bike riders yes well of course they it was originally set for release on december 1st part of the reason it was pulled from that date is because it is a very busy release date Um, you've got uh, the new john woo movie the new godzilla movie and a beyonce concert film dropping that day right so (laughs) i think they were partially afraid they'd be crowded out and then when we piled the uh, sag strike on top of it about the cast being able to uh, promote the film, that just killed any desire of the uh, production company for them to release it that day. So they, I know they were still showing uh, critic screenings of it, and it was still playing festivals, but they pretty much yanked it from any potential 2023 release. Initially, they said it was pending the SAG, stri- SAG strike ending before then, but you know, it, it quickly looked like you know, even with the strike being over, they weren't going to release it on that date. And I'm not quite sure why Disney sold their distribution rights yeah. to the movie, but I'm kind of glad they did because they ended up with Universal's Focus Features, right. who are a little bit more attuned to selling that kind of movie. And uh, it's getting some sort of theatrical release next year, supposedly a wide one. So okay. 
Hope so. I do too. I, I hope not too late next year. Yeah, I hope so too. Hopefully, hopefully we get at least by spring. That would mm-hmm. be nice. Okay, what else? Well, uh, Holiday Slasher, It's a Wonderful Knife will be available to stream on both Shutter and AMC Plus on December 1st. So you'll be able to see that soon if you missed it in theaters. I just want to take a quick pause here to say we were blessed with two really fun holiday slashers already this year because Thanksgiving was a ton of fun mm-hmm. and It's a Wonderful Knife also yeah, quite fun. Definitely. It's a good double feature, I think. Yeah, it's usually a bit of a void for horror fans after October. Um, you know, we always get some stuff in January, but usually November, December, we don't get much of anything other than streaming releases so that was a really nice surprise yeah and then there's a new 4k restoration of james cameron's director's cut of the abyss that's receiving a one night only theatrical release on december 6th if you can't make that date don't worry um that restoration along with new restorations of aliens and true lies will be hitting vod on december 12th followed by a disc release a couple months later on march 12th mm-hmm. so more james cameron in your life while you await avatar 3 <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, the Nick Cage action comedy retirement plan is hitting Hulu on December 15th. And Neon's supernatural horror film It Lives Inside will begin streaming on Hulu on December 29th. And then before I get into 2024 news, uh, Disney has announced that since they bought the rest of the um, shares of Hulu from Universal, they will be combining Disney Plus and Hulu very soon, uh, possibly with the Unified app arriving by summer of next year. Oh, I figured. Yep, it was inevitable. And then some quick 2024 news. Universal has pushed back the release of the Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt action comedy, The Fall Guy. It was going to open in March. Now it's opening May 3rd in a big summer slot. Um, It's directed by the guy who did the first John Wick and Bullet Train. Mm -hmm. And it's loosely based on the 1980s Lee Majors show by the same name. Well, the trailer is hilarious. It really is. I'm all in with that trailer. And with production resuming on everything now, uh, Disney has set a new 20, er, July 26th release date for Deadpool 3, and it is now the only Marvel Cinematic Universe movie coming out in 2024. Wow. Everything else got pushed back. Uh, Disney delayed the release of their Lion King prequel, Mufasa, which is a prequel to the uh, recent John Favreau remake. And instead of arriving in March of next year, it will arrive in December. And then partially on the Marvel front, Sony has delayed the release of Venom 3. It was supposed to hit in summer, and now it's going to come out November 8th next year. Of course, that's, then, just, that's still filming. It's just It just resumed yeah. filming after the, after the strike. Yes, it did. Um, and the screenwriter of the first two, Kelly Marcel, is directing the new one. Mm-hmm. So mm. nice little promotion there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of movies that, uh, that just needed to work that are still coming out next year, but they're, they're just coming out in the back half of the year because they've got to finish everything first. And then lastly, Sony has, for similar reasons, also delayed the new Karate Kid film um, all the way to December 13th next year. And that's going to star both Ralph Macchio and Jackie Chan, and I guess be a sequel to both the original run and the 2010 reboot. All right. I guess that's really the the only way forward now after you've already mined everything else. (laughs) All right. Well, you can always catch up on the latest news. Uh, Follow Daniel on the socials at The Schlocketeer. Have a great rest of the uh, holiday weekend. Right, you too. Looking ahead to next week, well, Taylor Swift had her moment. Get ready for the Beyonce concert film Renaissance is out next week. Also, Dream Scenario. Silent Night. Looking Excited forward for to that. That's <laughs> John Woo. Godzilla minus one. Oh, yeah, that's finally coming out. Yeah. Been hearing a lot about that. And Candy Cane Lane. More holiday fun.
We'll find out. That's next week. What do you think about this week? Some big movies, Napoleon Wish, Saltburn, or checking out Leo on uh, Netflix or some more VOD options. Let us know. Always good to keep the conversation going. We're always up for that. You can find us at Mad Wolf on Twitter. Also, Mad Wolf Columbus on also, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram and threads. And the main website, where you can find all of our written reviews and other shenanigans, as we like to say, <laughs> all at madwolf.com. So uh, have a great start to your holiday season. We will talk again soon. And until then, be well. She is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Happy holidays. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>